Agriculture and farming is trending. But before you can become Twitter famous and pick the fruits of your labor, you need to get started. This week, agri-experts share their most profitable farm ideas for 2022. In our Agripreneur 101 segment, we meet Kanye Mkwabe, co-founder of Matiwa, a Cape Town-based brewery that produces alcoholic drinks that includes a honey range, and it's all-natural, low in sugar, and it's sustainably produced. Dr. Tunisani Mkwabe may have failed matric, but he bounced back despite facing many difficulties. Today, he holds a PhD and joins us this week to talk about his research on indigenous vegetables and its socioeconomic contribution to people's livelihoods. Our book of the week is The Excellence Dividend by Tom Peters. And our tip of the week comes from Humpo Rampete, co-director of Sustainable Abundance Permaculture. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi and welcome to episode 115 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I am Dawn Numdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi. Now, it's been an exciting few weeks for us here on Farmers Inside Track, from launching the Farmers Inside Track Academy to running our very first farmer clinic. I'm still on a high, to be honest. Now, I'm flying solo today with my co-host, Duncan Masiwa, Food Film Zanzi's head of news, being on study leave, but he'll be back next week. Now, for all the new farmers out there, today's topic is perfect for you. This week, agri-experts will share their most profitable small farm ideas for 2022. We kick off with Alton Grieve, the Trade and Engagement Manager at Tridge who shares an outlook on some of the commodities new farmers can explore when entering the farming arena and what they should specifically consider in terms of niche markets. The small-scale farmer or family farming concept is a worldwide concept in Brazil, Vietnam, Thailand. From the Tridge perspective, we're importing from small-scale farmers. And they come together as a group and supply export quality fruit. So it comes down to area-based planning. If you're in an area that can produce fruit, strawberries, blueberries, whatever fruit there is that is affordable to do, that is a kind of niche market you can go into. Beekeeping is becoming a niche market, especially with requirement for genuine organic South African honey. It comes down again to doing market research, uh, engaging people in your area, studying the area, what is being produced, what is not in the area. Because quite often we go into an area and it becomes livestock or cropping or that kind of thing. And we don't realize that we could actually go into a niche market. I know that there's a big move now in the strawberry industry, massive demand for strawberries in South Africa, and many areas in South Africa can produce strawberries. And it technically is not a very difficult or very expensive product to produce, but it does require attention. We are seeing massive demands from the Middle East and Far East for South African strawberries. That can be done on a sideline to what your major producing element is. So again, one of the first things that we need to move away from is the mindset that I'm a small-scale farmer and I cannot do it. A small-scale farmer can be just as effective as a commercial farmer. It's just economies of scale. The main focus is to do research. Speak to people that are in the sector. Speak to people that are in the export or even in the local market. What is the current trend? What is available to, to do? What can be done? Because remember, you need to know your farm. Is your water suitable? What is your logistics like? Do you have access to markets? It's no use doing a product and you don't have access to markets, road infrastructure, etc. It comes down to even before you start farming, what can your farm do? What does the local economy look like? What does the area-based economy look like? 
and start doing that research and looking at what you can do. Attach yourself to study groups, attach yourself to people that might be doing these commodities because remember that as a small-scale farmer, you could actually be supplying to a commercial who is maybe big-scale and exporting and start off from there, learn from there and build your systems up from there. So it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you have to have direct access to a market, but it's tapping into existing structures and niche markets, taking it from there. Now, Leona Archery, the CEO of the Agricultural Development Agency, talks about profitability and the difference between a small producer and a mega farmer turning a profit in Mzanzi. I think one of the differences between the mega farmer at the moment and the smaller farmers is the efficiencies of scale, obviously, that your mega farmer is getting. So even in terms of how they can access inputs in the market, the market themselves that they make sure, you know, they have got before they actually begin to engage in a particular commodity. And so from the small scale side, in terms of profitability, obviously the whole issue around higher input costs, their access to credit and their access to markets come some of the areas that they would have to consider as they get into any kind of farming venture. If smaller farmers begin to aggregate, begin to come together, that's where they begin to see the efficiencies in terms of scale and begin to lower their costs, which then obviously increases their profitability and increases their ability to better profit margins earlier. So instead of paying a large amount of money or higher cost for inputs, whether it's feed or whatever it is that you're requiring, if you are coming together with other farmers within your space and able then to get what is needed for your farming enterprise at a bigger scale, you're obviously spending less in terms of what you're putting out. Obviously, again, you know, the commodity that people get into is very important. Your return on investment for different commodities would take different times. A big move at the moment for people to get into the fruit industry. But in some of those, the waiting time in terms of your ROI is a bit longer. But again, once you get to that break-even point, it is really a very sustainable income generation process. In the vegetable production space, obviously, your times are quicker and you can already start getting a break-even point much earlier. But again, it depends at the scale at which you're moving into it and whether or not make sure you have a market for whatever you are producing, because that becomes key to how you're going to calculate your profitability margins as well. And then finally, we hear from Kabile Nkunjana, Agricultural Economist for the Agro-Food Chain Unit at the National Agricultural Marketing Council. He talks about the avocado boom and what farmers should consider. Avocados is just became like a blue chip of recent times. Even in South Africa, the trend is actually not necessarily in South Africa alone. Even a couple of countries in Africa, Tanzania, for example, they are getting a lot of shifts from other typically produce into avocado. There's a lot of demand around it, not necessarily domestically, globally. There's just a lot that the world is needing avocados for. There's invasion around it and also the issues with it, the health, the health-related issues that comes with it. People are buying a lot of it. And unfortunately, for some countries that tend to, or that used to be like bigger in terms of producing it now, there have been some recent issues with that. The flies or like some sort of outbreak within, which is actually one of the issues that we're talking about in South Africa. We've seen like there's been a bit of an issue. A lot of people need avocado globally and some countries are having issues to control or at least to have some, some test sites that are used to control that. Which is one thing that South Africa, I think, soon might be experiencing as well because we're having issues or some debates around the, the regulations of getting the right pesticides into that. And also in South Africa, as much as it needs a relatively amount of time as well as uh, input into it in terms of investing in it, it is something that one can go for and it is worth that risk because I feel like it's going to be a while until the world has enough of that. And South Africa is actually one of the biggest 
in terms of supplying the global market and the demand uh, within the market that we normally export to, it has been growing over some time. As much as there have been some changes, just because of some some technical changes with market or like some pause or logistic issues, emerging farmers that they just need to get into contact with the right folks. Thanks so much to our experts, Leona Archery, Alton Grieve, and Tabile Gonjana. For more on this topic, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. Now, Dr. Tunisanikabe may have failed matric in 2011, but he bounced back despite facing many difficulties. Today, he holds a PhD and joins us this week to talk about his research on indigenous vegetables and its socioeconomic contribution to people's livelihoods. Firstly, Dr. Tunisani Kwabe, I think I can speak for everyone on Team Food from Zanzi when we say we are so proud of you and your achievement, and to do it at 27 is absolutely amazing. Tell us about what this means to you. Food from Zanzi was the first to flag out that I have obtained a PhD at my age and after a massive fall uh, when I was doing my metric. So I do believe that really you guys are proud of my achievement. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Now, to respond to your question, what this means to me, this achievement, well, it means, number one, I have to humble myself. It mustn't get to my head. And I was very happy when my supervisor emphasized that. I am grateful. I am happy, yes. But it comes with a lot of responsibilities, I suppose. Now I am going to be considered as one of the experts in my field. So it means more work has to come, uh, not just in terms of research, since I'm an academic, but also in terms of community engagement. I've been doing that in the past three, four years, and the aim is to continue contributing towards the betterment of rural livelihoods in general. Now give us a brief overview of your research on indigenous vegetables and its socioeconomic contribution to people's livelihoods. So my research was two-pronged. The first wing of it focuses on agricultural biodiversity, agrobiodiversity as I call it. So I was trying to find out how indigenous vegetables, the role that is played by indigenous vegetables in the agro-ecosystem basically. And secondly, I was looking at their contribution on household food security. Now, by definition, food security is a situation that exists when people have access to food at all times and there is a nutritional aspect that comes in the definition i'm not going to give you a book definition but what i then found when i was visiting these communities for the past four years was that we are talking about superfoods here that are highly nutritious especially if you were to compare them with your normal exotic vegetable crops And how is this known? Research informs us that uh, the likes of amaranth are highly nutritious. You look at your sweet potatoes, it is highly nutritious. It's good starch. And others as well. And economically, households, they are female figures as elders. They would cultivate these vegetables and then they would sell them to nearby towns and cities. And this would help with income generation within the household, which I think is a very great contribution because we are not just talking about food security here, but we are also looking at what other needs can be fulfilled through the sale of indigenous uh, vegetables. 
I make money and then I'm able to buy cosmetics, for example. I make money from these vegetables and then I can pay for my kids' school education, things like that. There's a lot that comes with cultivating these vegetables, with producing them and uh, selling them. I think they play a very important role altogether, especially if you look at individual households within the previously disadvantaged communities. Listen, what's your next move? And what would you like to say to other young South Africans looking to follow in your footsteps? My next move now is to shape my career, both in the academic environment and outside that. You know how vested I am in community development. So I want to focus on those two areas and also to continue the drive of promoting indigenous vegetables because I don't think I will ever rest until we reach a point where they are considered as part of, of our food systems, just like any other crops, you know. And for those looking to follow in my footsteps, I would just say, fix your eyes on the ball, because that is what I did, I believe. I focused on what I wanted to achieve and I worked towards it. I did not perform any magic. It was just a matter of organizing myself and knowing that this is what I want to achieve. So I'm going to push with all that is in me to get to what I want to achieve. Always great chatting to you and congrats once again, Dr. Kunisani Kobe, agricultural researcher. Listen, I always love our Agripreneur 101 segment on this podcast. It really showcases how creative and innovative we are as South Africans, but also on the entire continent. This week, we meet Kanye Mkwabe, co-founder of Matiwa, a Cape Town-based brewery that produces alcoholic beverages that includes a honey range that is all-natural, low in sugar, and guess what? It's also sustainably produced. Kanye, as I understand it, Matiwa means branches in Swahili. And your company strongly advocates for water conservation using water-friendly production methods to produce your alcohol. Why did you decide to do it in this way? I started thinking about Matawi in 2016. I started thinking about how to set up a social impact venture that would be able to create income and job opportunities for rural women and youth in particular. But in 2018 was when I really formalized the business because it was the height of the worst drought that the Western Cape had experienced in over a century. And so I started thinking more intentionally about how to set up a business that would contribute to water conservation, that would enable me to create those job opportunities. And Matawi was the no-brainer. Mead only uses water for production. So we use between 5 to 10% of the water that goes into making other forms of alcohol. Now, you also produce a beer in a traditionally Kosa-style mead using modern techniques. Could you explain this manufacturing process without giving away all your secrets? Matawi is a 100% black woman-owned enterprise, and we wanted to create a luxurious premium brand, both to celebrate what is from Africa, but also to create um, demand for honey. And that was going to provide us the vehicle to partner with rural women and youth as our preferred suppliers in the provision of honey, but also all the other natural ingredients that we use. We don't use any artificial substances in our production. We use teas, 
we use fruits, we use spices and botanicals to flavor our alcoholic honey beverages. It was these aspects that we thought, well, if we identify cooperatives to supply us, then at least we'd be able to achieve that goal of creating income, generating and employment opportunities. Mead obviously is a honey-based alcohol. It starts out as just water, honey and yeast, and this is fermented over time. And then we use this base mead as the, I like to say, the canvas for all the other products that we make. So we distill this to create our Matawi honey gin. We fortify it to create our Matawi honey liqueur. We also have a braggot, which is a mead style that blends mead with a crafted pale ale. And we have a lot of other products in development that we're excited about. We have small microbrewery in Cape Town, and this is where all the magic happens. Now, what are some of the challenges that you faced in your business? Any big wins you can tell us about? Some of the challenges we faced in establishing the business, it obviously soon after we set up, we coincided with COVID, which meant restrictions in production and restrictions in the ability to trade. And that was really a test, I think, of the fortitude of the business. As I said, we're a microbrewery, and so we produce really, really small volumes, but we weren't able to lay down stock. Even though we couldn't trade, we would have wanted to be able to continue producing and to lay down stock so that when the bans were lifted, we were in a position to bring all of this product to market. So it was really a trying time. But fortunately, we chose to look at it positively. We chose to look at what were the gifts of the time that we had on our hands. And so we really turned inward and focused on how to refine our strategy. Initially, we had been poised to launch as a B2B business. We thought that we would partner with restaurants, with hotels, work through their sommeliers and to work through their hosts, really just to educate the public about what mead is, because not many people still know the product. But mead has a long history in South Africa. It's known as Ipiliga amongst the Kosa communities and Kari was the word that the San people used to refer to mead. And so it was a challenging time, but it was also a really beneficial time. It helped us to pivot to digital and to pivot to business to customer directly. That's how we ended up launching our website. That was how we ended up prioritizing a listing with Brownsense, a marketplace for Black-owned businesses. In terms of the positive aspects of the business, it's really been rewarding to actually do it and not just to think and strategize about it and to learn every single day. I don't have a background in business. And so it's been challenging to wrap my head around the regulations, to learn the operational side of business, to learn just people management skills and also how to think through the vision of the business because I have Obviously, great ambitions, as small as we are, I would love for us to grow to become a globally recognized brand. I would love for us to be on the shelves of South African retailers. And so that's what we're working towards step by step. And it's been gratifying just to grow and to see the vision come to life and to see people tasting mead and giving us their feedback on what they think. It's been an exciting time. I think It's what has kept me motivated to continue with the business in as much as it's still small and starting out. Now, before we let you go, do you have five tips or pieces of advice for aspiring agripreneurs who may want to follow in your footsteps? To not be afraid to start small. The second piece of advice would be to read as much as you can and to follow 
business people who are already successful. I've learned sound business fundamentals from reading and from listening to other business people, from talking to other people, reading, you know, platforms such as this one. There's such rich knowledge and information and learnings that are available to us who are fortunate to be born in modern times where everything is available at the click of a button and on the internet. The third, I think, would be to make sure that you really have solid financial knowledge and insight. Another piece of advice, I think, would be to not work in isolation. I think we are so often tempted to believe that we are in competition with other business people, but you would really be surprised at the goodwill that exists. In my case, I have reached out to other spirit producers on LinkedIn. I've reached out to other women in business, and it's been phenomenal the support that Matawi has received from people who are much further down the journey and who are more successful than we currently are. And finally, I think it's to really think about how can you also bring people on board into your business. And so the best advice that I was given was not to work in the business, but to work on the business. If you are the founder or the leader of your company, it's to, I think, really get to a point where you are comfortable delegating those tasks that are repetitive, that consume a lot of your time to free you up to think more strategically and to work on the components of the business that will grow the business. That was a really good learning to me. Thanks so much for joining us. Kanya Mkwabe, co-founder of Matiwa, a Cape Town-based brewery. Next up, and before we let you go, is our book of the week, The Excellence Dividend by Tom Peters. The author believes that women are the principal purchasers of everything and explains how we should reframe our thinking around this. There was a McKinsey study that said gender-balanced board companies wildly outperform those who weren't, and the number is 56% higher (laughs) operating profit. I started working on women's issues in 1996, and I really started from the outside in. And what I mean by that is women are the principal purchasers of everything. My favorite book on the topic, which is mentioned in in The Excellence Dividend, written by a woman by the name of Lou Anne Lofton, is called Warren Buffett Invests Like a Girl and Why You Should Too. (laughs) And I love that. And the other thing I love about it, which is apparently the case, Buffett had never heard of the book. Somebody sent it to him, presumably the author, and he wrote the first review at Amazon. God bless him. But apparently he said, I never knew I invested like a girl, but I guess I do. And it was more about patience. It was about not getting caught up in the herd. You and I are sitting across from each other at some place on Wall Street, and you've got the winning deal of all time. And I'm not interested in making money. I'm interested in making more money than you make. And so there's no way in hell I'm going to let this thing escape. And women got a slightly smaller dose of testosterone and they don't take crazy risks. And it's a fascinating book. But general, my point was, if you pay attention to your customer, then you have to pay attention to women and marketing to women and designing products for women is not instinctively something that men do particularly well. And And I call it in my book, the squint test. And my point is, I'm not asking for quotas, no legislation, thank you. But I look at a picture of your executive team, and it ought to 
kind of sort of look like the market that's being served. If 80% of the market is women, then two token women on a 15-person executive team just isn't right. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens, the CO.za, or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. I'm all about woman power and I definitely think that this is a must read. Remember, if you'd like to review a book for us or you have a book suggestion, just email us at info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Now, before we let you go, our Farmer Tip of the Week comes from Mpo Rampete, co-director of Sustainable Abundance Permaculture, who shares some tips on intergropping and specifically how companion planting can assist you with pest control. Do a very simple intercropping thing where you benefit two crops together and plant your tomato and basil, and they apparently grow well together. You can use onions, for example, to protect your more sensitive crops from pests. You can use onions, spring onions, garlic, and scented herbs. So things like companion planting, plant guilds, as much as they aren't really well tested in the fields, they seem to get results from having onions around our crop, having spring onions around our crops. We have scented herbs in the, in the space, and we've reduced our pest impacts. There's even research that suggests that planting plants like geranium will increase your, your oil production in your oil crops. There's lots of layers to this. Thanks so much for joining us, Mborampete, co-director of Sustainable Abundance Permaculture. And that brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Foodform Zanzi. Don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms to get all the inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who really go above and beyond to feed South Africa. That's Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Plus, we have a weekly session on Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow. And if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your family, friends, fellow farmers, and be sure to check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. From me, Don Numdu, and our producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team have an absolutely amazing week. Bye for now. Cordeva is in it for farmers. For good. As a company solely focused on agriculture, we understand the impact of climatic and soil diversity, the unique requirements of each region each farmer, each crop, and the need for sustainability. To this, we apply our global mind, with 5,000 researchers in more than 130 countries, ensuring farmers of advanced seed technology and guarding growing investments through innovative crop protection. Local investment includes research facilities on par with our best in the world, and the largest private insectary in Africa. Advanced genetic breeding is combined with intense trials, testing and refinement in different bioclimatic zones to bring forth the best in-class products. Beyond in-seed value, our on-seed applied technology on farm crop protection 
digital and agronomic solutions are all designed to optimize farmers' productivity, profitability and sustainability. Because by being wholly devoted to agriculture, we have a deeper understanding of farming, the needs of our farmers and the country's need for farmers. This is what drives our researchers to find new avenues for sustainable growth. It is the reason for having state-of-the-art seed production technology on home ground. Our motivation for creating effective, locally proven solutions to protect land and crops with care for the future. This is the world of Corteva in South Africa. Growing progress, enriching lives, now and for generations to come. Corteva. Keep growing.